We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Roger Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Folks, aka North Sea Hijack, on April 18th, 1980. I'm pronouncing it Folks because it is two lowercase f's. Yeah, lowercase. That's the important to start part. The word. Well, it's two f's in a row, though. Right. Yeah. Is this a is this a Norwegian thing? I think it's a let's try to be interesting thing. It's also from a book. The book that it was adapted from was written by Jack Davies, um, and it was called Esther, Ruth, and Jennifer. This was directed by Andrew V. McLaglin or McLaglin, and released by Universal Pictures. Uh, somehow, IMDb trivia says both that Roger Moore enjoyed this film more than any of his Bond films, and that he thinks he was terribly miscast for the role. Yeah, I was looking at that. I was <laughs> like, like, I don't understand. Well, I think I, I think I can see where he's coming from as far as... I was the worst part of this movie? Is that what he's saying? Well, I, 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 I think that he had been known for James Bond, and this is not a very Bond role. Uh, sure. This is this is more of a an M or a Q role. Sure. Uh, <laughs> a but, Q role. <laughs> uh, Q, Q mixes it up. Uh, it doesn't do a lot of hand-to-hand stuff. No, no, no. Not very tactical. Um, see, that's why I, like, I that's why I both hate li- uh, not Living Daylights, but the second Timothy Dalton one, License, License to Kill. To kill. Uh, I like that Q mixes it up in it, but I hate that movie. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. Uh, I still think both of the Timothy Dalton installments are underrated. Uh, we're gonna be talking a lot about James Bond. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I also I, feel like half my notes are Bond related. Yeah. Well, when you hear Roger Moore saying that he he enjoyed this more than any of his bond films i have a feeling that was like during the press for this movie because that's also like page one of hey so you've decided you're playing james bond and you want more money for the next movie pretend you hate playing james bond yeah because the joke has always been that the only actor who doesn't want to play james bond is the one who's currently playing him and that's because you're required to pretend you hate it so that you get more money for the next movie Anyway, he's done playing James Bond. Daniel Craig can go away. He can go away two movies ago. Oh well, I don't blame him for those movies, but I blame him for everything from Casino Royale forward. I, I blame him because he accepted the role. I just don't like him as James Bond. Oh, well, he accepted I, the role for a lot. I of disagree. Money. <laughs> he's he's not he's not my Bond. Hashtag not my Bond. <laughs> um, part of the impetus for taking this role for Roger Moore was that uh, he wanted to break the bond type casting um, and yet the poster for this is very similar to the poster for diamonds are forever did you look at them yeah, side side? yeah. <laughs> i have to throw that on the instagram so the the poster for this movie is him inexplicably with two bikini clad women wrapped around him juxtaposed on top of an exploding oil rig in the background there was no bikini women no, in this movie at not. all but he loves women so much right. so it makes they sense make that it he clear. would have throughout the film that he loves women and being draped in them and uh the poster for diamonds are forever is literally sean connery with a bunch of bikini clad women on him and an exploding oil rig in the background it's the exact same thing 
but it doesn't make any sense for this movie because he hates women. And when he says he was trying to break the typecasting of James Bond, like, it seems weird that you're like, oh, being like a womanizer is the opposite of being a chauvinist. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 they're both, they're both not respecting women. Right. Like, yeah. It's like, yes. usually I'm very debonair, but here I'm very off-putting. And yeah. it's like, no, also the opposite. But I, I'm also an alcoholic in both, so. Right. Uh, but I have a beard now, so it's I'm not typecast as a guy without a beard anymore. Grizzly Adams did have a beard. <laughs> Prior to filming, uh, Irish newspapers had reported that at some point Robert Mitchum and then Donald Sutherland would be the main villain, but oh. Anthony Perkins was added to the cast late. Oh, see, and I would see like Robert Mitchum more as the folks character. Sure, yeah, like he that I would I would I would like that. I think Anthony Perkins is a very weird choice for this. Yeah. Speaking of people trying to break their typecasting. Exactly. That was a problem that he dealt with for a long time. Um, we start this film about folks. Uh, it was called Folks Here. It was called North Sea Hijack in the UK yeah. when it was originally released. It was which, which I prefer. For, yeah. What, North Sea Hijack? Yeah. No, it's a better title. I think the only reason it got called Folks Here was because they were like, Franchise! Come on, let's do a franchise! but it didn't, it didn't take off. <laughs> Folks is his last name. His first name is Rufus, and his middle name is Excalibur. Yeah. Which uh, is an interesting choice times three. Uh, at the beginning, Folks is lecturing the Folks Fusiliers, yeah. which is the name of his team. It's, both words are double Fs, and Fusiliers basically means like riflemen. Um, they're doing a scuba exercise. And they get word that Fletcher has a job for them. Yeah. It's and, not a real job. Yeah, and, and by the way, they are civilians. Right. They are not military. They are an independent contracting. Is folks retired military, though? Um, I don't remember if they say. I thought he was. But um, either way, at, at this point, he is a civilian. And he has this team of civilian, basically, mercenaries. And they're just practicing doing underwater missions. Because they just hope that the Navy will need them at some point. Right. Because Britain has a notoriously shitty Navy. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, uh, so Fletcher calls them in. Someone asks if he'll be staying at his usual club when he goes to visit with Fletcher. And he says, The committee voted to admit females on the premises. So I, I quit that club. So mm-hmm. I can't even stay at that place anymore. See, um, it feels like he might just be... Never mind. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Never mind. <laughs> He gets on a train to go meet with Fletcher and starts just chugging liquor in their train car. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's like one of those, uh, it's a sleeper car. But he's sitting across from these this couple and the woman takes out a cigarette and starts smoking. And he's like, this is a non-smoking car. And she's like, well, my husband doesn't care. And he's like, okay, well, I do. And it's a non-smoking car. So they get up and leave. Um, I did think it was funny. She She asks like, do you even have a ticket for this train? Like, She's that, like, upset about him asking. Yeah. And he says, well, you're dressed very weird for a ticket taker, but here's my ticket. And I wanted her to just throw it out the window. Because <laughs> she's just sitting on that side of the train and have him be, like, completely caught off guard. Like, uh, that, uh, um, <laughs> Just show him, like, walking along the side of the tracks trying to find his ticket so he can get on another train. After he pisses off this woman and gets her to leave the, the cart, he goes to meet with Fletcher, who says, we need a way to protect oil platforms that are out in the middle of like international waters basically Mm -hmm. they're not protected by the navy they're not protected by any air force 
they're beyond all those jurisdictions and something's going to happen at some point and they're going to need our help and so i want you to start practicing now to take over this oil platform from right. pirates basically uh, very prescient of him to just assume this is something that will immediately happen fletcher by the way is a representative of lloyd's of london uh, which is insuring the platform, but mm-hmm. knows that there's no military that would protect it. So yeah. he's basically hiring a private military. I, I will say that this fear isn't entirely unfounded. No, because it's I, not. Fe- I feel I don't know if, if this had ever happened yet in the 80s, but seizing of oil rigs is is a very large threat. Right, and this one happens to be worth a lot of money, although the number fluctuates. Uh, multiple times over the course of the film. Here, I get really confused when they talk about thousand millions. Yes. That, <laughs> I think that was actually a mistake when it gets said the first time. And the second time, it's it's not a mistake. So it's very confusing. Here he says that the price check for this particular oil platform is 200 million pounds. Pounds sterling. Right. We cut to Norway where a group of journalists are coming aboard the Esther, mm-hmm. which is the name of basically a supply ship. Yeah, it's, it's your Air Force One scenario where they're pretending to be media. Right. And right away you know that these are the hijackers because we just cut from a scene that said, hey, hijackers are probably going to get on the oil rig. And they're like, here's six unnamed men coming onto your ship. And apparently also that this is like some time later, I guess, because yeah. he's already had time to plan for such things. Yeah, when, when Fletcher is hiring folks, he says, the weather's really bad this time of year, so they probably won't try anything for another five or six months. And so he's like, that's how much time you have to practice this. So the group of journalists board the boat. As they're being walked through the boat, he brings them up to the first officer, uh, Mickelson, who is steering the ship. And, the, and he tells them about their autopilot function. And they're like, yeah, we know all about it. And then they kill Mickelson immediately <laughs> and just give themselves away like 100 feet from the dock. Because it doesn't matter because the ship's already moving and they're basically in control of it now. Yeah. So they tell everyone to, to get into the same area except for basically the captain on the bridge. The hijackers announced that there's a bomb that's already installed on the ship. And, and every time they announce a new bomb, they do a crazy reveal of the, like, ticker tape uh, label right. of, this one's on Esther! It's yeah. Like, why didn't See you if have you can to guess where it? the next two are. They're delivering a package to Ruth, which is a drilling rig, and these, these members of the press brought a bunch of extra equipment like at the last second they were like oh this stuff is all going to ruth so you have to load this on the ship too presumably this is all the material they need for the other bombs that they're adding right um so as they pull up to the ruth drilling rig they uh their explosive experts install mines underneath the drilling rig Mm -hmm. to the support structure and then they move to install a bomb under the production platform, Jennifer. So we have three bombs, one on the supply ship, one on the drilling rig, and one on the production platform. And this is when they call in their threat and make their demands to Jennifer, which is there's a staff on the production platform right. that's receiving this call. It's actually a lot of offices, it seems. Like, right. like there must be a manufacturing portion of it, but it seems like they also have like nice offices. With and there's secretaries. hundreds of people working on this platform. Yeah. Um, but this is where Anthony Perkins, when he's saying the price of the when he's talking about just jennifer he Mm -hmm. says this bomb's gonna go off at this time and this bomb's gonna go off at this time and then he says and if by one o'clock you haven't uh gotten us our money then down goes jennifer all two thousand million dollars of her it's like okay we heard 200 million pounds Mm -hmm. but now we're hearing 
$2,000 million, which I have a feeling that the only reason they changed from pounds to dollars is so that people wouldn't think it was the weight of the thing yeah. for an American audience. But he says 2000 which is clearly 10 times more than what the other guy said this thing cost. And if you weren't confused about currency exchanges, wait till he asks for his ransom to be paid in 5 million sums of pounds, yen, marks, francs, and dollars. Yes, which would be constantly <laughs> fluctuating and very difficult to keep track of. The money market is so unstable these days. So I looked it up uh, because I was confused about the saying uh, 1000 million. And yeah. So sometime in the 70s, it turns out that the way that uh england and america designated what a billion was was different yeah so what what i think and it seems to have different accounts depending on which website you're looking at but it sounds like the a what we now call a trillion is what england call a billion called a billion interesting and a thousand million which america called a billion then became sometime in the 70s adapted by England so that it, exchanges were more consistent because they were having trouble, you know, matching that because they were not talking about the same term. Well, that's funny because right before we watched this movie, you were watching an episode of The Crown and I made a note about how the Queen had just said a thousand million on that show. Yeah, because I was they, like, why does she say that? Because a billion would have actually meant a trillion. Right. Because they weren't because they used thousand millions instead of billions before the mid seventies. But either way, here Tony Perkins is clearly accidentally multiplying the cost of the production mm-hmm. rig by ten, because they would have like two billion dollars is a very different amount of money than two hundred million. At this point, the prime minister gets a call from the guy that's running the production platform, Jennifer, and lets her know all of the demands, and she says that the cost of just the Jennifer platform or what her advisors are telling her what the cost would be if this these bombs go off and they say for just the Jennifer platform renewing it at today's prices would be in the region of 15,000 million pounds and they say not counting the pollution and not counting the other two things that are going to sink the loss of revenue of the oil that won't be produced right they said just for this one platform the cost would be 15,000 million pounds which is now like eight times the number that Tony Perkins just misquoted, which was 10 times the original number. So this thing is just getting more and more expensive by the second. It's like made out of Bitcoin, basically. The advisors basically recommend paying the terrorists because yeah. it's not it's not financially viable to replace this thing. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that they can get out there and defend it without giving themselves away because they're at sea. And unless they pile a bunch of commandos into a submarine they're not going to be able to get out there and demine all these platforms she she shuts that down and says i don't want to pay terrorists and then they say well there's another option we could just let lloyd's pay the terrorists and turn a blind eye to it yeah or handle it however else they would like to implying maybe they want to employ mercenaries to put an end to this and that's his implication that they could hire someone to do something and they also have a plan to evacuate ruth since she's out of visual range right of uh of the of Of jennifer yeah and and esther yeah because esther is basically parked right off of jennifer at this point so uh fletcher is brought in fletcher from lloyd's and he shows the prime minister a video of some exercises some that folks has been staging Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's very impressed and admiral brinston is there 
Yeah. And that's uh, James Mason. Yeah. He is impressed, but he wants to meet with folks before they officially hire him. Right. And so him... he's initially against civilians doing military action. Yeah, because he, he thinks he's... that that's their job. But he, but he understands that they're in a pinch. Yeah. And he's the, he's the admiral of the fleet. So him and Captain Phillips go to see <laughs> folks, which we have, we, we've already had in this, uh, when they're taking over the ship, we did have a, I'm the captain now scene. Yeah. May I speak to Captain Olufsen, please? I am the temporary captain of this tub, and you're going to be taking your orders from me for the time being. Look at me, sure. Look at me, sure. I'm the captain now. And so now we're actually introducing a Captain Phillips. Uh, in between here is just a quick insert of a scene of the crew wondering if they could get away with poisoning the the terrace. Right. It, it's just a quick. It's just a quick aside. Nothing happens. It's just because the girl Sana says, "I'll have to ask the captain." Yeah, because she doesn't have a key to the poison cabinet. So they go to meet with Folks, and uh, he is actively doing an exercise with his men. He's built like a replica of the supply ship in the in the form of like a cage that he mm-hmm. has in a lake outside of his castle. Yeah. Which, this is supposed to be in Scotland. He he basically lives in a castle. Mm-hmm. Is this a castle that he has? Yes, that, a castle. And that's his castle? I'm assuming. Yeah. Because he seems to be heir to some kind of a fortune, which he says in his will is to be left to his cats. <laughs> he brings them into his office, which is just full of cats. And did you guys get any implication that folks is supposed to be gay? I think that that's maybe something that Jesse was hinting out I, earlier. Yeah, I, I decided not to go there because I wasn't sure if that was what they were getting at or not. I feel like there's at least implications in that direction. I don't, I don't know if they're specifically making that point well it's it seems it's a weird character choice i think to to hate women so much and to not have him turn on this character choice throughout mm-hmm. the entire movie right i think he says he was married though that's right not, yeah, not, that's, not that that means anything yeah uh, but i just assume he's a he's a cranky incel that has taxo plasmosis yes yeah for sure yeah he does have a pile of cats but then because he says something later but that won't happen my men know their way around a man's anatomy mm-hmm. um and so i was just like are they all gay maybe they're all gay maybe um, but who knows uh, I, I like also there's a running gag of uh folks ragging on a guy named harris Right, yeah. Like, this is like, Harris! Like, <laughs> he's, he's constantly like, calling out specifically Harris for screwing yeah. up. Harris! 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 But, which, uh, which, which is a joke that plays, pays off later. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's great. But uh, he, he tells Princeton that his plan is that he will pose as the Admiral's flagman and that they will offer themselves as additional hostages as the deadline is coming up. Mm-hmm. And that his men will be underwater already, like, infiltrating the ship. But that when they come to a specific deadline that he will take out the target of whichever terrorist is like leading this, this whole hijacking and that his men will disable the rest of the ship and keep the hostages safe back on the ship. One of the hijackers tries to take advantage of their, the sole female hostage, Santa, mm-hmm. uh, Santa. Um, but the captain like very quickly realizes, Oh wait, I probably shouldn't leave her alone with that guy. Yeah. So that, that it gets interrupted there, but the implication is still that at some point, one of these guys is going to try to make a move on her. Uh, make a move on you mean rape yeah, <laughs> yeah. rape move rape move <laughs> classic Working classic rape, rape moves. Moves. I don't want to shy over the fact that we're talking about these uh, pirates raping her uh, Jennifer tells the hijackers that the admiral is en route 
and uh, gets reluctant permission from Tony Perkins, who's very upset. Yeah. Because he didn't clear any landing. He did. He doesn't want to see any jets because he's afraid that he's probably going to get bombed um, before he can push a button. And uh, Santa asks the captain for the poison key. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm hits the ship uh, just as Folks and the Admiral are landing. A woman tries to help Folks with his bag, but he freaks out on her because yeah. she's a woman, and he's mad that they even let women women on the oil platform. Uh, and she mentions, oh, there's eight of us. Things are improving that way. A gigantic step backwards. He's very upset that they let women do jobs. On Esther, the captain asks a fellow hostage to please get his pipe from his mm-hmm. room. He gives a very specific location of where the pipe is located. Right. And he's also asking for something that the location should be obvious so that he knows that what's in this location is not what he said. So when the, when the other hostage goes down to his room, he sees all the pipes aren't even in a drawer. And then he looks in the drawer that was specified, and that's where the poison key is, which he pockets and then picks up the pipe, which he brings back to mm. the captain. In the, there's in like the cafeteria, or like the mess hall, basically, and uh, they're trying to decide who's going to go get this poison out of the cabinet and uh they decide that one of the people that's with them the person who brought all the press on board Mm -hmm. uh is sick uh he seems like he's seasick i don't know if he's actually sick or if he's pretending to be sick right but but or if he's actually sick or he's pretending to be sick (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) can we cut the pac-man for a second Hold on, there's a Gyarados outside. <laughs> I, was googling, I was googling things, and I, I hit the microphone button, <laughs> and then I and then I canceled the microphone button. That's good. <laughs> I don't know if he's actually sick or pretending to be sick, but uh, they decide that he's the person who would most likely be going to the hospital on the ship because there's a whole hospital built into the ship. Yeah, I, I feel like. Uh, the word infirmary would have yeah. been a better choice, but but I feel because this is like a British production that, that they, they're interchangeable, maybe. Well, the, it's just like one of those things like that they they just have different names for the same thing, but they use the, the, a different word. But what's also frustrating is that Santa is like on her way out the door to be like, mm-hmm. I'm the only person who they would trust going to the infirmary, and then they're like, Wait, you're sick. Why don't you do it? And they give a stranger the key. Yeah. And then he's like, all right, cool. Yeah, thanks, guys. And he leaves. And they're like, wow, that went really smoothly. I'm surprised he wasn't more worried. And then they're like, oh, God, he's he's one of the bad guys. That's, that was really dumb of us. Yeah. And so they go to intercept him on his way back up to the bridge and lock him in a closet. And then they basically take the key back and go to the cabinet themselves. But we hear the James Bond theme here mm-hmm. uh, for the second film in a row as basically... Uh, Lou, which is the Anthony Perkins character, is watching him through the doorway as he takes the poison out of the cabinet. So he knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, when they get back up to the bridge with a bunch of tea for lunch or whatever, they try to serve him poison in the coffee. And he says, oh, you guys should have some coffee too. And they're like, oh no, we're good. We had stuff before. And he's like, yeah, you should have it as a gesture of goodwill. Just drink some coffee. And they're like, no, no, no. We don't, we don't want any coffee. And he's like, drink it! <laughs> like he freaks out on them. Um, but he hands some to Santa and some to, I forget the other guy's name. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Drinks the coffee. <laughs> not going to be around for a while. Uh, he doesn't drink the coffee straight up. No. He, 
when uh, Tony Perkins loses it and starts screaming at him, he's like, okay, fine, I'll just drink it. It's poisoned, but I want you guys to drink some of it, so maybe you will if I drink it. And Santa freaks out and knocks it out of his hands Mm -hmm. because she doesn't want him to die. And then the two of them sort of... Scuffle. Yeah, there's a scuffle, and she goes running out the door. They try and shoot her as she's leaving uh, the bridge, and she runs down the the side of the ship to get away from them uh, and pretends to jump overboard, or she throws a jacket overboard? Yeah, she throws something overboard. Uh, I'm assuming, yeah, like I said, it's her jacket, so that... uh, Because she's... Freezing later. Yeah, later if she's cold, yeah. But uh, the guy sees her jacket in the water, and he comes back uh, to... Uh, the rest of the terrorists and says oh she she went overboard um and they're drowning this guy yeah they're just pouring coffee into his mouth which is i'm assuming still very hot yeah and also poisoned (laughs) on top of it insult to injury yeah um at least it wasn't as bad as like hateful eight where it was just like this constant vomiting of blood yeah uh but he doesn't really even get the chance to die from the poison does he because they just throw him overboard so he probably drowned anyway Really, these guys should have just killed all their hostages right away because they're never doing anything to prove that any of the hostages are still alive. Correct, and and but I assume the only reason that they're not is because they need the ship to work. Because they a couple times they've given them permission to actually like work and go work in the engine room yeah. and whatnot. The captain says, "Look, we need to start. We need to turn the ship into the wind if we're going to survive this storm." Right. Another thing that's going on here is on Jennifer. They're coming up with a plan. Because uh, the Ruth deadline is coming up, right? And they're, they're all they only they can't disable the mines, but if they th- make it look like Ruth blew up, then, then they, they might not trigger the they explosion. might not trigger the button. Which it should have been a timed explosion anyway. Yeah, all of these deadlines would have been set on timers, but they're implying that he's just watching a clock and then he's going to push the button when it's time to blow up Ruth. Mm. So they decide if we pretend to blow it up and make it look like one of our defusal experts screwed up and we blew up Ruth ahead of time that he's never going to push the button because he'll think it's gone anyway. And it's too far away to see it, but by now it's nighttime and it wouldn't be too far away to see the explosion. Right. So uh, they're probably 20 minutes from the deadline on Ruth when they, or maybe it's closer, maybe it's like eight minutes, I can't remember, but they they pull the trigger on that and uh, Lou sees the explosion and freaks out. Um, but he realizes what probably happened. I actually really like this part of this movie in that because Brisden's on the phone with him yeah. when the explosion happens, and he's like, Brisden! He hung up. I can't say I blame him. Yeah, I, and uh, the second in command here, um, what is the guy's name? Shulman. Oh, yeah, Michael Parks. Yeah, he's great. And I think there's also a hint of a relationship between him and Lou. Oh, is there? Uh, because there's a scene where he says, why don't you go and take a rest? And he puts his hand on Lou's chest and rubs his chest. Oh, okay. And I was like, what was that? Um, and they, I don't know, it just it just seemed like a really odd moment between the two of them. Okay. I, I didn't catch that, but I would watch this again. Uh, Shulman here has an interesting line uh, when they're watching the explosion from inside their ship. He says, if they don't get Red Adair out here, that could burn for a year. Mm-hmm. Which is actually a reference to another character from Hellfighters. Oh. Which has the same director. Right, actually. right, yeah. I remember that in the... Folks is uh, coaching James Mason to do a cigarette distraction. Because when the time runs out, he wants him to offer a cigarette to Anthony Perkins. And that while he's distracted, that's when he's going to pop up and shoot him in the face. Or mm-hmm. whatever his trick is going to be. 
<laughs> and then we get this really obnoxious line. He says, oh, you know what? You should probably call the hijackers right now. And he's like, "Why? I don't have anything to say. Why should I call them right now? And he says, well, right about now is when they would have blown up Ruth. So let's just keep them distracted when that deadline is passing. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll call them. And then back in the ship, we see Anthony Perkins with his hand right over the button. He says, If it hadn't already happened, in exactly 12 seconds, I'd be doing this. And he goes to push the button. The, the phone, phone rings. rings. He just, he's like, oh, phone ring. <laughs> like, wow, folks really called that one. Yeah. <laughs> he almost just pushed the button as a joke for no reason. Um, but uh, the Admiral and folks basically say, we're coming over to meet with you. And uh, once we've met with you and decided that it's safe then we're going to send the money over. Uh, right. But they're still waiting on the money to get delivered to Jennifer. And now they have more time anyway because... The deadlines between Ruth and Jennifer were yeah. a few hours, like six hours or something yeah. like that. They have, I think, was it 40 minutes after midnight or two midnight? I can't remember which way. The, 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 the Where the money will be ready. Right. But as soon as they land on the ship, Folks is basically sent back. Yeah. Because Lou, the Anthony Perkins character, just doesn't like his face. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like... You need to get out of here. I don't like the way you look. And I don't like the way you talk. So you get back on that weird net thing and mm-hmm. we'll fly you back over to your boat. He was looking mighty smug. Yeah. Really yeah. Like it seemed like, like he was intentionally getting kicked off the yeah, boat. Yeah. He didn't seem to try to fix that problem at all. Yeah. Uh, at this point, Herring, the uh, guy who brought all the media, he's like, he wants out. Yeah. He wants out of this. What I do like is that when they, uh, earlier, it was a moment when they found him. Kramer asks him who else was in on the poison deal, and he doesn't say anybody. He, he doesn't. He doesn't give them up because yeah. they were all in on it. Yeah, even him. But he but, can't even say one person because if yeah. he says one person and they didn't know that person was involved, then they'll kill that person. So yeah, he doesn't say anybody. Yeah, so I was like, okay, good on you. Like, I wondered if that wasn't to imply that maybe he's been on this ship for three or four months working with these people. Yeah. And that he was supposed to infiltrate so that they would trust him ahead of time before these other people got on. And he even volunteers to forego his share. Right. Like here, he's, here he's trying to get off the boat. He's yeah. like, you know what? You guys can split my half and and I'm just going to get out of here. This is this is getting crazy. And they're like, oh, okay, that's great. Yeah, you can yeah, quit. And he's like, oh, God, no. I was just kidding. And he's like trying to hide behind a pillar. Like, please don't kill me. Please don't yeah. kill me. <laughs> like this. It's like, he's like, oh yeah, well, this is, I'm going to hide over here. Yeah. Uh, but they track him down and shoot him. And that's the end of Terry. Um, Folks goes back to Jennifer and he calls the prime minister and says, hey, so our plan's not working out exactly the way we wanted it to. Um, so you need to get a bomb squad together and you need to bomb Esther because, um, we probably saved Ruth, but Jennifer's going to go up unless uh, this guy yeah. is stopped before he can push the button. Worst case scenario, we're out the crew of the Esther. Yeah, and he and says it's like six people that are working on the Esther, four terrorists, myself, and the Admiral will be mm-hmm. on the boat. And she's like, okay, like I appreciate this plan. I understand that that's the best thing that we can do. And then he hangs up and he's like, you know, I think she's actually very smart <laughs> Yeah, for a woman. He, he mentions a little bit of... His hatred for women, like yeah. the inspiration for it, is childhood trauma, basically. Yeah, both his parents died in childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> that is what? weird. His delivery of that line is just the only way Roger Moore could ever yeah. deliver such a deadpan line. He's like, I had five older sisters. Both my parents died in childbirth. It's like, does that mean during the birth of you? Because all of your sisters were older sisters. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he's like... like uh, 
Barry Egan from Punch Drunk Love. Like, yeah. like he has like all these older sisters that just picked on him constantly. So he just hates women. It doesn't want to be around them. Um, but th- this is where he explains that his cats are the heir to his fortune. Mm-hmm. And like everyone in this in this room is like writing out their will and like handing off like their last wishes. Like we're all gonna die. So just tell our families yeah. this. Um, even though everyone, Jennifer's probably gonna die too. Um, but folks decides he's gonna sneak on to Esther now. Yeah. Um, there's a great nod to James Bond, uh, Thunderball specifically here. Okay. When he gets the red, the red. Uh, like, uh, oh, great vermilion. Yeah, because because that's the color that Sean Connery wore in Thunderball. In, Thunderball. in that scene that I hated. <laughs> it's a crazy, awesome, well filmed scene. No, I don't know what you're talking it's about. Not crazy or awesome, just because it was difficult doesn't mean it was good. But there's like 40 actors underwater all wearing these crazy suits firing spear guns back yeah, and forth. that's so awesome. Um, but anyway, he's able to sneak back onto Esther. But immediately as he's getting on the ship, I'm like, this is not the uniform that his team was going to see him in. Yeah. So this is going to be a problem in the long run. Uh, as he's sneaking around the boat, uh, he's trying to catch the various hijackers off guard. And uh, he sneaks up on one and knocks him unconscious but when a second one almost gets him the girl that had faked jumping overboard mm-hmm. jumps out of one of the lifeboats and knocks that person unconscious so his his life was just saved by a woman yeah uh, which uh would make him furious um and uh basically his team is swarming the boat at the same time they're taking out uh the explosive experts and a bunch of other people on the main deck and as they're moving up the ship one of folks's men harris <laughs> attacks him and uh they get in like this death grip struggle for right. his life and uh it seems like at any point here folks could have said it's me folks stop yeah but instead he just throws the guy overboard um and, and they're not implying that he killed him here no right? no. no no because later he says where's harris someone threw him overboard yeah. he's like ah. yeah <laughs> so he threw this guy overboard I mean, they swam there from presumably pretty far off anyway. So I, I'm sure the guy was fine in the water. But uh, but yeah, so he throws this guy overboard. And uh, basically, folks' men make very quick work of all of the hijackers except yeah. for uh, Shulman and Lou, who are in the, in the bridge. And uh, then they take out the guys in the bridge very, very unceremoniously. Yeah, Briston does his, his cigarette trick. Yeah, and it um, works exactly how it's supposed to. They shoot like a dart into yeah, Lou's torso. Yeah, I like. I, I do like the lines. You got to be careful; those things will kill you. And that's when Roger yeah. Morris shoots him with a spear. Yeah, and so he's got this spear in his chest, and they take out Shulman too, mm-hmm. who is trying to reach for the detonator. Right, but Lou isn't totally dead. He's just kind of like stunned and dying, but he's mm-hmm. still easily within reach of this bomb. Right, but uh, in a um, in the rock site type manner, Roger Moore has to get off a flare before this bomb is dropped. Cause right, because he called in the explosive. Yeah, so he launches the flare just too late. The bomb's already been dropped, and the helicopter has to quick tilt itself to, to try to throw the bomb a little bit off course. Right, and then it lands in the water right behind the ship. Yeah. Just barely avoids killing everyone. And uh, that's when Lou decides he's going to start making his move for the buttons. And it's basically just Lou and James Mason in the ship. And Lou's hand is slowly crawling over the display to hit the button to, to blow up Jennifer. And 
probably also Esther. Esther, yeah. And uh, and at the last second, Folks's hand grabs his hand and pulls it back, and he kills him. Mm-hmm. And it's like that. Why? That, why couldn't that have been James Mason? Like, I get that the movie's called Folks now, yeah. in a way, but it's like just give James Mason something to do that wasn't a very specific instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been cool if he got to actually play a part in this rescue. But that's the that's the end of this uh, hijacking. Uh, I guess there were two casualties: the first officer um, and the guy that drank the, the guy that drank all the poisoned coffee. But everyone else that died was in on the hijacking, right? Um, and all the ships were saved, so very little money was lost. We move back to Folks's castle, where the prime minister uh, is there. But uh, the IMDb trivia points out that the the car that was implied to be the prime minister's car the license plate says rgm which is roger moore's Mm -hmm. uh, initials so that was probably actually his car parked out in front of the castle um and they're presenting him with his award which is in a box and well you you guessed it immediately well because he he says in this scene there's like you we know you don't like awards and this sort of like thing right and so i'm like oh well, of course, they got him some cats. Yeah. So he opens it up, and there's there's three like fluffy white Persian cats, and their names are Esther, Ruth, and Jennifer. And he seems very grateful for them. Yeah. And he's like, now if you'll excuse me, I have to get these cats into a pot of boiling water. No, uh, he's going to go feed them. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, another part of the trivia that I thought was interesting was apparently they had to sedate the cats on the set. Right. And which James Mason did not like. Yeah, like it's the opposite the situation here is that James Mason is actually the huge lover of cats and yeah. was like very angry at the thought that they would sedate these cats to get them on film. So they had to do it secretly so that he wouldn't know. Um, um because Roger Moore has a line is I like cats more than people and I hate people who don't like yeah. cats. Um, more than people. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, well you were talking to the right guy. Yeah. It's also funny to me that because I think the folks character is supposed to be Scottish. Like when they first show the castle, I mean, it's in Scotland, mm-hmm. but it's also you're getting like a hint of bagpipes on the air when they first show the establishing of the castle. Mm-hmm. And it's a British guy playing a Scottish guy when you've had Sean Connery playing James Bond before him. Yeah. It's just funny how a that genuine got, Scott. That got uh, swapped around. I, I wonder if that wasn't a specific joke on Sean Connery to have him be Scottish at all. Mm. Um but like we said before, it's directed by Andrew V. McClagan, or McClaglin, uh, who directed Hellfighters in 68. He will direct, with Roger Moore again, Sea Wolves next year. Yeah. Which I, is still in between two Roger Moore James Bond movies. Yeah, and I saw that it was 1980, and I got super excited because the cast is amazing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I cannot wait for us to watch this. This, this isn't on the list. Yeah. And, and then I was like, oh, U.S. 1981. Yeah. Damn it. No, that's a good thing, Richard. We have too many movies this year. Um <laughs> He uh, he also directed a TV movie sequel to The Dirty Dozen, yeah, which did, was probably terrible. Well, he, I think he did like another sequel so reboot thing. Was too. it was it called Return of the River Kwai? Yeah, <laughs> that is not a sequel. Oh, okay. I saw that, but it's funny. Like literally, the IMDb summary is not a sequel to Bridge Over River Kwai, <laughs> but it deals with like POWs coming back from after the war. Um, but it's essentially it's yeah. a spiritual sequel. Yeah, um, um, he also directed McClintock. Uh, I haven't seen that one. The, the, uh, John Wayne, Hellfighters, John Wayne. But uh, right. this is another John Wayne where he's, it's John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. They did a couple of movies together. Oh, okay. Like The Quiet Man. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, this is a. Actually, uh, his dad was in The Quiet Man. The director's father oh, was well, uh, one of the main characters of The Quiet Man. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And the writer, Jack Davies, uh, 
he was actually nominated for an Oscar for the screenplay to Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines. Yeah. Uh, this was his the, his last feature because he wrote the book and the script. Um, and his son played the titular role in David Lean's Oliver Twist, which hmm. I have not seen. I've only seen Reed's Oliver Twist. Yeah. Um, Roger Moore was Folks. He's obviously Bond. Uh, he plays a character very similar to himself in Cannonball Run, mm-hmm. which is very funny. He's also the saint. Right. He's the um, saint. And uh, uh, a special nod to that he was one of the three Mavericks of the TV series Maverick. Oh, okay. He was Beau, Beauregard Maverick. I didn't know that. Um, he was also a voice in Cats and Dogs 2, The Revenge of Kitty Galore. Eh. He plays Tab Lazenby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was also uh, Inspector Clouseau in the 1983 Curse of the Pink Panther. Hmm. So we'll get that later. Uh, James Mason was Admiral Brinsden. Uh, he's obviously Professor Humbert Humbert in Lolita. Yeah. It's one of my favorite roles. Um, he was Captain Nemo in 20,000 Leagues. Yeah, he got the promoted sea. to Admiral by this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's also the third. Uh, he, he's the male lead of the third of five Star is Born movies. Yeah. Uh, he's the one opposite Judy Garland. Uh, he's also in one of the many adaptations of the Heaven Can Wait or okay. yeah, which has like a couple other names that yeah there's the one with um uh dick tracy yeah and that, that's the one he's in uh but that movie that movie was like a short story like in the 30s and it right been, like little miss marker it had been done a couple of times it doesn't isn't there a chris rock one uh it's not called heaven can wait but it's a very similar story yeah. where he gets reincarnated um uh anthony perkins was lou kramer here obviously he was norman bates in all four psycho films yeah uh, uh, Psycho 2 and 3 better than you think I have never seen anything beyond the first one so. yeah uh, like Psycho 2 is a little bit eh, but Psycho 3 is like this is actually pretty interesting okay um, he was also Dr. Durant in the black hole mm. uh, and he plays Chaplin Tapman in Catch 22 which that whole cast is amazing in yeah. that movie uh, Michael Parks is incredible uh, he's showman here um, I know him best for his Earl McGraw character, which he was he's yeah. in Kill Bill and Kill Bill Volume 2. And he's also in uh, Planet Terror. I think he was the same character walking around in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also plays Esteban Vajeo in the second half of Kill yeah. Bill, uh, which is just a remarkable performance. That whole scene is is incredible. Uh, say what you will about the movie Tusk for, for just what it is at all. But he, I'm never going to see that movie. He is amazing in it. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, Tarantino and Kevin Smith basically like just put him back on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he also, the Aben Cooper character in, in Red State. Did you see that? Uh, I have not. Oh, okay. He's like this insane preacher of this like Westboro Baptist Church style like cult. Uh, but it's pretty insane. And he gives it 150%. It's pretty amazing. Um, he's also Jean Renault on Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, David Hedison played King in the uh, the guy that was running the the oil production platform. He plays Felix Leiter in two James Bond movies yeah. for two different James Bonds. Yeah, I don't know how I never noticed that a Felix Leiter carried over across two. Gen- I know that that uh, obviously we had uh, M carried over from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig. Right. Well, but- and and uh, and. Connery to more. Bernard, oh, Bernard yeah, Lee, Bernard Lee right. played M for a long time. That's right. He died and during Morse. Yeah, uh, that was uh, the 
I think because he played a major part in his last film, which was the For Your Eyes Only, right? Right. Yeah, because uh, he definitely was in Spy Love Me. Um, but yeah, For Your Eyes Only. I think. I think he died right after For Your Eyes Only because I don't think he's in Octopussy at all. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, David Hedison, he was Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die, which was Roger Moore's first film, mm-hmm. and License to Kill, which was uh, the second and last film for... Dalton. Is that right? It was the second one? Yeah. Um, he also plays Captain Crane on Irwin Allen's Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which is one of the shows where they invented the Irwin Allen rock and roll, or rock and sock and robot whatever it's called where you shake the camera and everyone tilts one way oh okay yeah yeah yeah. um george baker played fletcher um and he was in on her majesty's (laughs) secret service as uh, sir hillary bray which Mm -hmm. is like the name that uh james bond takes over for the rest of the movie right um he was also oh yeah i'm stepping on your feet here but he was like yeah he was also captain benson in the spy who loved me but also (laughs) there's another connection he was the moonraker in the Moonraker, 1958. I was going to say, <laughs> it's not called The Moonraker. So there's another movie called The Moonraker? Yes, and he is the titular Moonraker, 1958. Isn't there also a short animated film where a kid is raking on the moon and collecting stars? It's another Moonraker. What's that movie called? I feel like uh, I watched it at the... It's a Disney short, and it was in front of... It does sound familiar. It was like a Henry Selleck thing. I can't remember. Anyway, that's another thing that could be referred to as a Moonraker. Yeah. Um, or even... Uh, oh, you're talking... It's, is it you, Luna? You, La Luna. La yeah. Luna. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, technically, I guess Sam Rockwell's character is a Moonraker. Because <laughs> they true. got all those... Uh... Let's just do this instead of reviewing the movie. Let's just talk about different people <laughs> who could be referred to as Moonrakers. Uh, Faith Brooke played the Prime Minister here. Uh I didn't recognize a lot of credits, but she played Louisa Bradley, which is the name of Isabel's mother in The Razor's Edge. Have you mm. guys seen The Razor's Edge? I still haven't seen The Razor's Edge. I love The Razor's Edge. Um, it's actually a legitimately good movie that has just a terrible, undeserved rap. Um, I, I read the book. Oh, okay. Um, Philip O'Brien played Webb, which I guess is one of the other hijackers would be my guess. Yeah, so there's a bunch of hijackers that I just could not keep straight. Yeah, the only reason I included this guy is because he plays the Mater D in Batman. Like the Tim Burton Batman. Mm -hmm. Um, He plays the American coach in Chariots of Fire. And in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he plays Earl, the trolley man who gets fired and drunk in the bar. He has no lines. He's just playing drunk. There was a couple times in this movie where uh, I'm always surprised by names. So like, I saw a name named Brooke Williams. Okay. And it was helicopter pilot. I was like, oh, that's going to be a big thing because he doesn't like women. And there's yeah. going to be a female helicopter pilot. No, it's just a guy named Brooke. It's a guy named, <laughs> guy named Brooke. <laughs> I was like, oh. Uh, uh, Anthony Pullenshaw, I uh, didn't know much about him, but he was a uh, in The Spy Who Loved Me as one of the crew members of the submarine that is going down. Oh, that's funny. It's not going down. It's being captured. But anyway. Right. Uh, uh, and then... Uh, Another actor uh, who played Harris, uh, Tim Bent, Benton, Bentonick, Bentonick, uh, was in, was, <laughs> he plays James Bond in The World the is Moon Not Raker. Enough, the video game. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't remember who Harris was, but he played James Bond in The World is Not Enough, the video game. That's funny. Wait, Harris, isn't that the guy that gets thrown over the side of the ship? 
Oh, that's right, Harris. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he plays James Bond. <laughs> so he, he plays James Bond and was thrown off a ship by James Bond in this yeah. movie. Uh, I can't remember uh, one of these actors uh, was in Star Wars, but that's not. Um, but getting back to some more James Bond stuff, there, there was a lot of James Bond stuff. Uh, most of the like the rest of this cast kind of were were a lot of stunt people. Uh, but one of two of the stunt men, I'm going to go for the first one first. George Leach, who played Magnuson, uh, was a stuntman in Doctor No, Goldfinger, Thunderbolt, Casino Royale, the terrible one, the '67 one. Yeah, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, Diamonds Are Forever, Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, Octopus, He Never Say Never Again, and View to a Kill. He was a stuntman on all of those. Is films. he not the one that got hurt on the set of Octopussy? I'm not sure. Okay, but he continued Our, to work because we interviewed um, a Bond girl on our MacGyver podcast, and she yeah, talked yeah. about one of their stuntmen getting hurt. I'm pretty sure it was him. Oh, there's another stuntman who was in this. The uh, Richard Graydon, who played Rasmussen, uh, was a stuntman in From Rush With Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Managed Secret Service, By You Love Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, and View to a Kill. So these are just people that Roger Moore brought along. I feel like that he worked with these stunt people and... He's like, I have a guy for that. Yeah. He was I, basically I, I folksing it and he was like, I have a whole team at my disposal. Well, two of these guys, were they were probably his stunt doubles. Yeah, I'm sure in, they were. In some of the Even though action sequences. It should be it should be pointed out the very little action in this film. I mean, we get a fake explosion on a horizon, but aside from that, it's mostly dialogue. Yeah. Uh, and people trying to outsmart each other. There's not a lot of like hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, the only time that we and it's mostly cutaways of hand-to-hand combat of yeah. of a hand wrapping around someone's face and then pulling them down and then yeah, you never every, see them again. Everybody's trying to be very stealthy. The the, the biggest fight is between his own men. That's true. Like yeah. he, when he's fighting Harris. Yeah. Okay, so the guy that was hurt on the in Octopussy, his his name was uh, Martin Grace, who was Roger Moore's stunt double. Oh, okay. Apparently, there was a stunt between a helicopter and a train. Train. That's and, what she told us. Yeah. Yeah, and and they lost communications, and so he got pinched between yeah. the train cars or something like that. Um, Jess, what would you say for this one, up or down? It wasn't my cup of tea. I, I know you guys really enjoy these films, but it wasn't my thing. I would say down. Um, I, I give it an up, but... It's a reluctant up. It's a reluctant up. It's like right on that that fence line of up and down. So, But I give it more towards the up. I think I'm going to give this an up also, just because uh, no part of the plot sounded entirely unbelievable to me. Mm. I felt like it was a very researched plot from both angles from the terrorist angle and from yeah the rescue angle and uh but you'd really recommend somebody watch this movie you'd, yeah you'd... if i mean i'm a james bond fan if you want to familiarize yourself with more of roger moore's oeuvre i would say that this is one to check out okay. i would say that it wasn't so bad that i would say eh, you can you can skip that one I, th- I think if i were talking to my friends though i wouldn't be like yeah you should definitely see folks <laughs> Well, this this isn't like what would be in your top five movies to recommend to people. Yeah. It's, if this movie came up in conversation, would I say, oh, yeah, check it out? And I think I would in this case. All right. It, it just felt like a TV movie. I, I think that's... It did. That That's what, what, what throws me from it a little bit. I think, yeah, the production value suffers from uh, a very heavy reliance on handheld camera work, mm-hmm. which I think is to accentuate the fact that they're at sea most of the time, but it does cheapen it a lot. Yeah, and I feel like with a higher budget, this could have looked like a James Bond movie. It just would have needed some bigger action sequences than it had. Yeah, but yeah, I 
think that's about it for this one. Um, actually, Letterbox. We got to do Letterboxed. Uh, Richard, you started off this time. Uh, Letterbox. I would put this. Um, I'm gonna put this just below Tom Horn, uh, and which puts it just above Midnight Madness. Okay. I have it in a similar position. Uh, it, it is. It is actually below both of those, but it's. Uh, I, I have it making the Windows threshold, which okay. it has made made Richard's Windows threshold as well. Uh, so I have it above Windows and below Saturn Three. Okay. I'm gonna put this below Saturn Three and above Last Married Couple. So that's where it lands on my list, which is actually not too bad. That's in like my top ten, I think. Oh no, it's very close though. Um, yeah. Wow. For the year so far, there are so many, far. many, many more movies to come. Yeah. No, this is the last one. We're good. Oh, thank God, we're done, guys. Um. This is episode 36 of like 180 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that is about everything for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Heartbeat, which, according to IMDb, is about the life and friendship between icons of the beat generation Neil Cassidy, Carolyn Cassidy, and Jack Kerouac. Stay tuned. We leave you now with the trailer for Heartbeat. After World War II, we all thought we knew who we were and where we were going. According to the experts, what each of us wanted most in the world was a house in the suburbs, two cars, our own barbecue pit, and exactly 3.2 children. Looking back, I wasn't much different than anyone else. I took it for granted that Mr. Wright would show up someday and sweep me off my feet. That was before I met Jack and Neil. Boy, did I have it wrong. Jack Kerouac was a struggling novelist. He wrote stories in his mother's kitchen about the jazzed-up lives of the artists and musicians he knew in New York. Neil Cassidy was the son of a Denver wino. He'd grown up on Skid Row, but had spent most of his youth in reform school for stealing cars. The day he got out of jail, First thing he did was steal another car and head straight for New York. Jack and Neil were friends with a wild young poet named Ira Steiker. It was Ira that introduced them in Greenwich Village. Neil thought Jack was kind of square until he began to read his work. Jack wrote out words like they were notes to a saxophone solo. It was the same kind of music that went through Neil's mind. In no time, the two were friends. When Neil decided to drive to San Francisco, he asked Jack to go with him. Jack didn't even know how to drive, but he figured it would be a good chance to learn. 
don't understand why you're doing this. No, I don't either, but I know I want to do it. But I thought you always wanted to be a writer. I do. That's why I want to do it. I want to get him down on paper. Can he get himself down on paper? Mother, it'll be all right. They traveled with Neil's girlfriend, Stevie, a runaway teenager he picked up in Iowa. Dubuque, you know what I mean? Dubuque, Iowa. Oh, a lot of good-looking girls come from Iowa. You know, they're all corn-fed little girls. You know, beautiful little things. And uh, so, anyway, I'm sitting there on the bus, and uh, this little thing is such a beauty, Jack. She's home. It might be there with some old Ritz crackers waiting on the table.